All right, everybody. We are here for episode whatever the hell it is, 600 and something uh, of Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I am a strength coach, a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild, and I just got back a couple days ago from my last meet in Ohio. Nice. <clears throat> this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor at the Kerrig Institute, uh, instructor at Rocky Mountain University, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, and down here in uh, South Padre kiteboarding, been able to ride the last oh god, what five out of seven days, I think. So there you go. yeah, had a nice sunset session, a little bit lighter wind last night, so it was good. Did a ocean session last Saturday, didn't die, so I was happy. There you <laughs> go. A lot warmer down there too. Oh yeah, it's well, it's funny to watch the the locals. It gets down to sixty five degrees. Everyone's wearing hats and uh, parkas oh, yeah. and stuff, walking on the beach. I'm like, what? <laughs> it is it is cooler for this time of year down here then, but it's yeah, it's been nice. This is Coach J with Strength Guild in Olathe in the Kansas City area. Uh, just a very curious young bro with all things strength. Have you guys had a lot well I guess Mike doesn't have a facility. I have had a ton of people of recent like doing drop daily drop-ins from all over really? the place. Yeah, and like all of a sudden, it's like I'm getting texts daily. Like, hey, can I drop in? Yeah, huh. who the hell are you? Uh, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, yeah, yeah go ahead. But, Man, we've, I've, I haven't been doing anything marketing-wise, and we've kind of popped a little bit lately. Yeah, neither have I. I haven't put up anything besides my usual shit, which you yeah. think that would make people go away. But... <laughs> 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 Yeah, I people mean, I don't know. I think I'm that's... home or someone else is at my house staying there instead, so they don't bother <laughs> me. <laughs> so now let's talk about the meet. I just spent uh Yeah. Headed down to Ohio. Got to see Jim and Dave and everybody. I went down on Friday night, uh caught the football game over at Windlers. Sadly, his London football Red Raiders they lost the game for themselves. The third um, round of the playoffs. But, uh, so I bailed like right after that. I was like, yeah, gotta go. Jim's gonna be pissed. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a happy camper the yeah. rest of the night, or the rest of the year. Yeah. So I went and hung up with him the next day. But Saturday was Wayans. So I went in and did that fine. I was super light. I knew I wasn't worried about that. Uh, I came in 12 pounds light for my class. Were you doing that on purpose, or you just didn't care as long as you were in the class? And just yeah, I just did. I just, I just ate normal, and I figured I'll lift where I lift. Yeah. So I'm done. I am done eating up after that last <laughs> record breakers a couple years ago. I was literally like a small fry and a McDouble away from a heart attack. So <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Uh, I, I'm not going to be 290 again. Uh, so came in feeling good. Um, Rested all day Saturday, just ate a ton of food, went over Windlers again, watched college football, um, ate some Jimmy John's and a bunch of Chinese food and everything else. Um, and like I said, I did not cut for this meat, but I weighed in at 263. The next day, I like doing this just to see where I'm at. I stepped on the scale when we got to the venue before I lifted, and I had gained 14 pounds. I was too without cutting. So it's not like I depleted myself. And then gained 14 pounds. I was like regular because that's where I've been. I've been sitting around 260, 263. Um, weighed in at 277 the next day. Oh, I was bloated. Um, meat kicked off well. I was in the fourth flight. I had one of my lifters in the first flight. What? One in the first, one in the third, three of us in the fourth. Um, so I had the, and I thought it was going to be a long day. So you had four flights, one platform. Uh, and generally you figure yeah. in powerlifting, 15 lifters a flight, minute each. So you're talking an hour for each flight of squat. At least. Um, but luckily I watched, I was watching the first round. They went fast. Um, I figured we'd be there till seven, eight o'clock at night. We were done by three really quickly. Wow. Well, ran. but luckily, unlike my last meet, last meet, I got stuck in the second flight and didn't know how, how hmm. everything was going to run. And also didn't have extra time. So basically, if you're in the second flight, you start warming up. The first flight warms up, and then they clear the warm-up room, and you start warming up while they start squatting. So I had like 22 minutes to warm up to 700 pounds. 
<laughs> which was a son of a, it was a motherfucker. Um, I barely made it last time. Luckily, this time I'm in the fourth flight, so I started warming up like halfway through, three quarters yeah. of the way through the second flight to give myself extra time. Um, so I was plenty warmed up and things like that. Um, but watching the first flight, like judging was super strict on depth. Um, like you definitely had to be well below parallel, uh, which had me a little worried since I'm in a single ply suit and things like that. And it's a little tough for me to get there. I'm like, I have no problem getting to what would be considered depth, but getting much past that it's work. Um, so anyways, I warm up, uh, first flight goes well, we get up there. I open at seven twenty seven. And two red lights, of course, for depth. So they're like, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I didn't come here to squat 727, so let's go 767. Uh, for a second after getting red lighted, I get red lighted again. Oh. I'm like, oh, shit, this may be my first ever meet I bomb out of. Because uh, uh, I've never bombed out of meat, oddly enough. And uh, I come up and get the third. I got one red light. So two whites, one red, got my third lift. It was one hell of a good morning because I sunk it so low that I ended up shifting onto my toes. Oh. And, uh, basically did a PR good morning with 767 pounds. Oh, uh, wow. And, yeah, like I was about to explode. I, both my eyeballs blew out, so they're still bright red. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I blew both eyeballs out. And, uh, yeah, I made the lift. It was slow. It was a grinder. But uh, uh, then moved on. Bench is my nemesis. I pretty much don't care about it because I always hurt. But. This training cycle, several years ago, I got back, back up to 405 after I tore my shoulder. And the way I did it was just ring push-ups. And I told myself this training cycle, hey, stupid, you know, mm-hmm. did ring push-ups last time. It didn't hurt at all. And you got back up. So that's all I did this time. And uh, I opened, because last meet, I, like, opened with 315, and that's all I did because it hurt so much. Um, this time, I opened with 315. I was like, oh, that was easy. Uh, took a jump, 325. Hey, that was easy. Took a jump, 335. That was, so hit all my benches. It was nothing spectacular. I mean, for my weight class, that's nothing, but it's a win for me. I took two jumps. I did all three lifts and I had zero pain. Uh, so that's a bright spot on the future. And it just tells me I need to keep doing what I'm doing, uh, which is lots of ring pushups and don't bench with a bar. Uh, I'm making a note to add ring pushups to my routine now. Oh man, they're amazing. <laughs> they are so amazing. And, like the weight you use is less. I mean, I end up, we, I have one of the spud straps and I put it over my shoulder and hang stuff from it. Bad weight. Um, but, or it's uh, the other option is what I used to do is have people put plates on your back, but that's kind of precarious and hard. And then yeah. you need another person. If you just use a strap or something, uh, or if you had a weight vest and some chain. Yeah, exactly. It worked. I don't want anything to hit me in the head as I'm doing them. Yeah. And that's the only thing sketchy. Like my last sets and reps were like, I was doing ring push-ups, and our rings are set like three feet above the ground with 175 pounds. Oh, wow. Uh, these fucking <laughs> straps break? I'm fucked. <laughs> You're so screwed. <laughs> I'm in pain. But anyways, that went good. And uh, then come the deadlift, and I'm warming up. I'm like, holy crap, this is heavy. Like, everything was heavy. Uh, and I think it's just I have never squatted. Like, the, my max squat in a meet was 722, and that was my last attempt. This meet, my first attempt was 727, and then two really hard shots at 760, whatever the hell. I think it took a lot out of me. Anyways, I hit, uh, like, my last warm-up was 585, uh, and I was like, oh, boy, I'm going to have to work for this. And went up and hit my 7 or 678 or whatever the hell it was in kilos. That went fine. And... uh Got greedy and went for the national record in my age and weight class, a 7'11", and gave it everything I had and just barely missed lockout. Oh. And call it a day. In hindsight, I should. this is the first meet in 14 years that I haven't hit at least 700 pounds. Oh, wow. So uh, it was a long, good long run, but uh, that run is over, so now it's time to get back to work. And I've been concentrating on squats so much. The deadlift has kind of been back burner, but you just, I, I still think you just can't deny what three really heavy squats takes out of you. And then when do you think because you had the good morning it to make depth? Oh yeah. That, that definitely did a heavy help. deadlift. Yeah. Uh, that definitely didn't, didn't, didn't. Yeah. Hurt. Yeah. And it was one hell of a grinder, but, uh, in hindsight, I should have went like seven Oh one 
because I I barely missed the seven eleven. But mm-hmm. I like the stadium one of that national record and uh I'm not unhappy. <laughs> it but if really you made the seven eleven, I always tell lifters I'm like like yeah. imagine you make it and then imagine you miss it. Like yeah. would you regret more not giving it a go and then always thinking no. if you could have made it or not yep. versus exactly. if you go for it and you miss it, yeah, you, you know, you did the best you could, you know? Exactly. So um I can tell you this, I think this will be my last my last meet not using a monolift. It was just sketchy, man. Uh, Notice there was no start, monolift at all. No, it was squat stands. Ooh, squat so, stands. Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, just, there's a couple things. I mean, like it's hard. I'm used to lifting out of the monolift, and I can push on that thing and get set up real tight. You can't do that on squat stands, or they'll just fall over. <laughs> they fall over. <laughs> um, so you kind of just get under it and put it on your back, you know. Uh, which I mean, I was able to do it, and the walkout now at plus 700 plus pounds is getting like that's the sketchiest part for me with my knees it's shifting the weight onto one foot and then the other and coming Mm -hmm. out after the walkout it's like i'm good you know as long as i can get the walkout done i don't feel unsafe um if i miss it i'm just gonna just too heavy and i can't stand up but like there's a point where i feel like my knees are just gonna explode on the walkout Do do you adjust your feet like slide your feet around once you get set no i'm able to just kind of you just plan and go. Yeah, I'm able to. Well, it takes. I let the bar settle a bit, but uh, I don't shift around my feet a bunch. Like I put my feet because I'm used to the, my monolift at the gym, yeah. and I'm not an ultra wide squatter. Um, so I'm in my stance when I stand up. I just take one little step, another little step, and I'm good. And if anything, the spotters were like, "Holy crap!" Because my my walkout, I'm probably maybe two inches from the racks. Like, I don't go that far. It's like, I'm not, I'm not here to go Why for would a walk, you? bro. Yeah, I'm not here to go for a walk. I'm just getting out of these, the way of these stands as much as I can. You know? So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it went good. Had a, had another guy that it was his first meet. He did well. Totally soaked. I think he's hooked on it now. Um, three other lifters that had been done meets before and they all PR'd everything. So awesome. we all came home with hardware. Would you change anything about your approach with the deadlift looking back? Uh, I'd have taken the only thing I think. Oh, in training? Yeah, in training. Would you change anything you did in training going up to for your deadlift? No, because my goal 100% was get my squat up. So, and that's been the goal for a while. Because my squat was so far behind my deadlift, now it's time for me to give a little more concentration to the deadlift again. You know, I was always a big deadlifter. I was deadlifting like 780 when I was squatting like 550. Hmm. <laughs> so I needed to make up ground, you know, uh, to have a well-rounded meet. So, um, I, Are you I, finally I, ready to pull sumo? <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> Not a lot of people know this. Not a lot of people know this. My first 700 was sumo. Mm. Uh, and that's because I jacked up a hamstring two weeks out from a meet and if I pulled sumo it didn't hurt so two weeks out from a meet I changed to like a narrower stance sumo and I pulled 700 sumo um, <laughs> that was hurt uh, and then I went right back to conventional but no I'm not doing that my hips can't handle that I've tried it since hip replacement it's like oh my god that is <laughs> that is horrible I just can't get it's just an ugly like Wide stance, stiff-legged deadlift is what I end up doing. <laughs> so, uh, it's yeah, I'm not going there. But I think I just need more volume. Like, I have had no volume on the deadlift. So, we get done squatting. You know, average day we were going up. I was going up to 700 pounds, and then it's like, okay, now it's time to deadlift, and we'd pull some heavy doubles or whatever. Um, I think I just need to get volume back in, some volume for a while. You just going to do that on a separate day? I don't know. I'll try that again. Um, the problem with that was then I just hurt all the time. Mm. My hip, like I just get, it's an ache in that replacement part. <laughs> it made both days suck. You know, it made both days lackluster when I did that. So it was better if I did. Now what I might do is what I was messing with this training cycle and I stopped in a, 
a month out was I would have a, so Saturday's my big heavy day. And then I had Wednesday as my lighter day to get just volume in like stiff like a deadlift with 225 and this and this and this and this. Um, I stopped that once we got month out or whatever when I was just doing like singles with 725 every week, my opener weight. Yeah. And my back was just still fried. Cause I, you know, I'd go, I'd go squat 725 for three singles and then I'd pull 675. Mm-hmm. And come Wednesday, my back was still like, Hey bro, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> so, uh, but I'll go back to that and I'll have a longer run of that this time. I won't do a meet for a year. It'll probably be next November. So I've got a long run to, to get ready and, uh, stuff like that. I'm, I'm kicking around the idea of doing 242. So mm. drop 20 pounds and not like a legit 242, not like I'm 265 and I cut down the night before <laughs> um, like walking around every day at 242. So yeah, um, that's my idea. I'm getting old, man, and you can't stay a giant mammal forever and expect <laughs> a, a long time. So yeah. You just find as you get older, like you tend to prioritize other things. I mean, in terms of health and just how you oh, think yeah. daily I basis. Def- definitely. Oh, yeah. Like 15 years ago, it was all about just totals, man. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You know, <laughs> and I didn't care. Uh, and now I'm like, huh, I don't want to die right yeah. now. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's weird to say, but I mean, literally, I mean, the, the, like my m- mental aspect 15 years ago was definitely just, it was all athlete. Whatever it takes, you know, to crush numbers on the platform. If I fucking die, I die. <laughs> and now I'm like, eh, I don't really want to die. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely thing. Well, I mean, part of that too is having family and you know, yeah. kids and wife and shit that like she would, I would be double dead. Like if I died on the platform, my yeah, fucking she'd definitely wife kill you again. Ohio, she, would, <laughs> she would have them resuscitate me so she could kill me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I also found that my just my, especially over the last maybe ten, fifteen years, my tolerance of being in pain is just so low. Yeah. And it's one thing if like something happens and I've had injuries and all that kind of stuff, and you just kind of have to deal with it. But when I know that it was my own fault for just being stupid, yeah, then I become very intolerant of that, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the other one for me is I can't eat like I used to. Like, I am beginning at the age of 45, I'm starting to realize why they have a senior's menu. <laughs> I, I can't eat like I used to. I'm like, holy shit. You know, I just can't do it. Um, I don't have the appetite. My digestion gets messed up. I used to be able to, like, it was nothing to hammer down, like, 20 wings and a large pizza. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, give me two slices, bro, and I'm out. <laughs> I took half the so, early bird special. Yeah, and it's weird, <laughs> and you don't notice this shit until you actually get there. Uh, you know, and that starts creeping up on you, man. So, uh, other night, like I said, it was good. I hung out with Windler a bunch. Went over there all day Saturday. Nice. To watch college football with him. Um, he's doing all right. Yeah, he's doing good. He's doing good. good. So um, he's doing kind of. I saw he posted some like a kind of a blog or somewhere. He's, Talking about his training was mostly body weight type stuff. Yeah, he's doing like all body weight stuff, and it's massive volume. Um, yeah, like he'll do like 500 lunges and oh. shit like that. Uh, lots of weight vest work, so like weight vest push ups and weight vest chin ups and um, hills. Does he like that stuff? I, I mean, not like it, but like, does he feel like he's seeing a, a ton of benefits from doing that stuff? Like feeling good and like. Oh, he's feeling <laughs> a lot better. Yeah, like he was at the point he couldn't hardly walk again. So. Yeah. Um, and like he said, he's like, well, we were talking about my buddy Dal, uh, that just had his neck done. Mm. He had to, he had a roof fall on him. He's a firefighter. And so he had to have, what is it? C4, C4, C5, C5, C6, something like that fused. Oh, wow. Um, and like Jim was telling, he's like, just tell him to go away from the barbell. He said, I wish I'd have done it earlier. He's like, I was stupid and just, he was fighting in pain, trying to keep squatting and deadlifting and yeah. shit like that. And he's like, there's so much other shit you can do. <laughs> um, and dude's still fucking. I mean, he's not, he doesn't look like he did when he was competing, 
but you know, for a dude doing push-ups and lunges and chin-ups, he's fucking jacked. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that's, that's another one of those cases of, you know, you build it over that many years and it's easier to kind of hang on to, you know, I'm not, you're not going to get his size by doing lunges and push-ups, but if you're already that size, it doesn't take a lot to keep it on. Uh, you you just got to keep some stimulus going, but, uh, no, he's in better shape than he was, and you know he he chased me down and kicked my ass. You know I'm not running anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, even though I'd outsquat him, you know he if we ended up in some kind of yeah, it would it wouldn't go well for me. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I ran over to the compound on lead FPS too. Chatted with Dave on Saturday. They were all after it. How's he doing? Good. Oh, good. good. They're doing well. His he was just amazed that I'm squatting over 700 pounds on a fake hip because he's got both done. And, oh, that's right. He had both done, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, the fucking crazy thing is like you're hitting legit depth, not like SPF depth. And I was like, because yeah. <laughs> so, all his squats right now. I mean, he's still squatting and stuff, but it's uh, he does it to a high box and things like that. I mean, a lot of what I did when I got first got back from hip replacement. Uh, yeah. So. But no, they're doing good. Everybody's kicking ass over there, and yeah, it was a good, good venue. Really well ran meet. Um, and then we went. A funny story. We went out to eat after. I was like, I need a fucking steak. And uh, <laughs> so we we pick out a steakhouse. We all drive over there. Three of us show up before the others. We walk in and sit down. And I'm looking at the menu, and it was like sixty seven dollars for a ten ounce sirloin. I'm like, holy shit. We got to go, guys. <laughs> We're walking across the street to the Sizzler. Because I'm going to spend $300 trying to fill up. But uh, we got down at like 4. And we're all like, yeah, because the Chiefs game was that night at 7. And playing the Raiders. And we're like, we're going to eat. And then we're going to go to a bar. And we're going to drink and watch the game. And, and we got halfway through our meals. We're like, I'm going back to the room and going to bed. <laughs> but, yeah, it was a good time. Do you find, like, there's a weird, like, I'm going to use the word CNS fatigue, which has been bastardized to hell back and forth, but even if you feel fine, your joints feel fine, but just after doing maximal lifting, you just feel like you got hit by a bus. Like, you can't. It's the weirdest sensation of you just feel really tired, and you kind of know why, but yet there's none of the other sort of associated things at times. Yeah. No, that's the biggest thing with powerlifting match, I think, that hits you. Like, generally, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm a little achy afterwards. Yeah. Because, well, I just lifted a shitload of weight. But, uh, like, I'm not muscularly sore. I'm not beat up. I'm not sore. I'm just, this whole week, and especially that night and the next day, you're just tired. You're yeah. just really tired. Um, And, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Man, I just went to, back to the hotel room and. I watched the game, but I just laid in bed for like six hours before I went to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just ate that. I was like the fat kid. I did goes and shit all around me and ho ho's all over the bed. And I'm just laying there like munching food and watching the game. I was like, this is all I want to do. I'm good. I'm content. So I'll leave the going out and drinking after the meets to the young kids, you know? <laughs> so I'm too old for that. But old yeah, man, Phil. Yeah, it was good. No, I'll get fired up. I mean, it's just I, I, especially since the bench went well and it didn't hurt. I'm fired up to do another one. I won't do one sooner in a year, but it just <laughs> fired on. It's like I know I'm not done. I still want to compete. I still love it, you know. And that's a good thing to know. I mean, it's, yeah. it's worth my time and go out there once a year and prove I can still do it. So good stuff. Nice. What's your study you just got sent to you, Mike? Yeah, I've got one study here, and all honesty, I didn't necessarily go through and read it real fast because I just got it this morning. But I guess everybody else talks about studies on the Internet that they've never even read the abstract, so I guess I'm okay to talk about it. (laughs) Uh, The reason I brought it up is because the title is The Effect of Elevated Protein Intake on DNA Damage in Older People. Comparative secondary analysis of two randomized controlled trials. 
This is published in Nutrients, October thirteenth, twenty twenty one, and. The reason I'm discussing it briefly or letting people know about it is that it seems like there's more anti-protein stuff coming around again. I don't know, maybe it never went away. I've just had a couple of clients and some other people send me stuff from, you know, how protein is bad and it elevates your BUN and it's negative and it's going to be oxidized and, you know, all stuff we've talked about here on the show before. Uh, most of the actual data in healthy people looking at kidney damage, we haven't seen any kidney damage from higher protein diets. Um, you are going to oxidize some protein. There's just no way around that. Uh, oxidize means burning some of it for fuel. And, you know, to lifters, surprisingly, protein serves all sorts of other functions in your body other than just trying to repair your muscles. So expecting that all the protein you take in is going to go and directly repair your muscles is uh, kind of far from the truth. It does do that, and it definitely helps. But if that were true, we would see people gaining, you know, like tons of lean body mass in short periods of time, which we don't really see. Um, but in this study, it's kind of an interesting outcome. They were looking at the effects in older people of a higher protein intake. Um, and it looks like they pulled uh, two other uh, studies and did sort of another analysis of those studies, which again, I think you're going to see a lot more of that now just because, you know, COVID and trying to get actual raw data. And I know a bunch of labs are kind of back up to what they were doing before, but I know of at least three direct studies that I don't know if any of that data will show up because everything got shut down right at the end of the study. One of them was in the middle. One of them literally had like a couple of weeks left. So I don't know how much they'll be able to salvage from that. Um, but the protein intake they used was uh, on the higher side. Uh, one of the studies was 1.7 grams per kg. Another one was 1.54 grams per kg. So not super high, but if you take the 1.54 grams per kg, if you're a 100 kg mammal, so about a 220-pound person, right, you're going to be at 154 grams. So not, not really high, but definitely uh, higher, which is good. And then they looked at some effects on different markers of DNA uh, damage. And I think it's interesting, but again, I would love to see this followed up with some sort of functional outcome of is there anything else you could uh, possibly measure? And did you see any changes? Um, but what they concluded, and again, always dangerous just to read the conclusion, uh, they stated, quote, increasing the protein intake to more than 20% of total energy intake uh, in community-dwelling seniors in Australia and New Zealand uh, did not increase measures of DNA damage, change glutathione status, or elevate CRP. So, again, in this study, they really didn't find too much of an effect from that. Now, again, I didn't pull all the results and look to see if there was anything else they found, but... I'm sure someone on the internet may find one or two things that possibly were negative and, you know, extrapolate that into who knows where. Um, so, yep. So nothing too exciting. Again, it's kind of an interesting setup, but eh, just a heads up if you see more people shouting about how high amounts of protein are going to kill you, probably unlikely. And again, at least in this study, doesn't look like there's any uh, effect on DNA damage either. Honestly, that, that's kind of a, I wouldn't say newer term, but it's, it's one of those newer things like DNA damage itself. Like I've just heard that start coming up and usually I start hearing multiple circles, but I start hearing that as like a, an effect of virtually anything. And I remember like there was some sure. stuff with vaccines and all that stuff too, but like it seems like that's kind of a new buzz fear is like mm-hmm. DNA damage, which I mean, the amount of stuff that could actually damage your DNA is, I mean, it's got to be small, right? Like, it can't really, you would think, at least, that it would take something pretty pretty intense for, your D, like, your actual DNA code to get damaged. Yeah. I would and, hope. Yeah. And the hard part <laughs> is it's always, like, it's always being repaired, too, right? Yeah. So it'd be like, 
hey, we did a study and we found that exercise results in muscle protein breakdown. Oh, my God, don't ever do exercise. How horrible. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like yeah. there are a fair amount of stuff that will, you know, incur damage to DNA, uh, grilling food, right, heterocyclic amines, uh, even UV, just radiation from being a human walking around on planet Earth. Yeah. Um, but, again, that is also being repaired all the time, too, right, which is why it's interesting, but I'm – not an expert in this area at all, and I'd be interested to see what sort of uh, functional aspects are actually altered with that. Because if you measure enough cellular things or just do enough measurements in and of themselves by statistics, some of them are going to have, you're going to find something. It doesn't mean that that's actually a quote unquote true effect or has any functional change to you as a as a body, especially if you're only measuring the damage itself and not necessarily the repair. And I'm sure at some point, if you see like just crazy high levels of damage, you're probably not going to repair all of that. But yeah, I agree. It's a interesting marker. And I think a lot of some of these studies are going to be done because they usually will keep the blood samples uh, from other studies that have been done. So kind of interventional type studies. And they'll like, hey, we can do this new study and we can look at this analysis method. You know, can we use some of the blood from your study? Which is, you know, good and, you know, potentially useful. But I think we'll start to see more of that coming forward because getting actual samples is getting easier and running actually intervention trials on humans is getting easier again now. Uh, but for a while, that almost kind of ground to a halt everywhere. Yeah. Well, and that's, like you said, I mean, damage... People hear the damage as a buzzword and like, especially if we just break it down to physical training, like if there is no damage, there is no progress. You know, damage is the step towards making progress. You know, we go in there, we train, we do a set amount of damage to ourselves, which in turn causes our body to heal that and potentially make us, if we do that damage numerous times, it's the signal to our body that, hey, we need, this motherfucker's going to make me do this a lot. <laughs> we need to change ourselves to be able to handle this. You know, as far as, and that's just not on the muscular level. That's on the soft tissue level, the bone level, the, you know, everything gets stronger due yeah. to the damage we place on ourselves. So this uh, is probably getting in the weeds with that, with the, the DNA I would even say just altering, but with the DNA damage, you know, specifically, right? So let's say you recover and your, the code essentially changes to accommodate whatever it is. It's like, so you remember maybe, oh, this was a long time ago, but when there was kind of this underlying, like, what you're doing in your life affects, you know, when you have kids, like what genetics you pass on, essentially. Yeah. It was kind of getting changes. shot down really easy, right? Like, it was kind of getting shot down as, like, yeah, no, this is, like, you know, junk this, junk that. But, I mean, if it's such a big deal, right, if genetic or DNA damage was so prevalent, so common, that like, something like eating protein, it's, like, like a higher-protein diet would affect what genes you pass on, like, you know. And that was getting shot down easy, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah. And so it's yeah. strange that it's like kind of resurging now because this isn't the first study I've heard where they're kind of looking at that. It's like the last, you know, within the last year, I've, I think I've glanced at three that are like looking at DNA damage for one reason or another. Yeah. Yeah. And the genetic aspect gets really messy too, because then you've got epigenetic changes uh, so epigenetics are kind of, if you look at just the DNA itself, I can't remember the exact numbers, but like humans and giraffes have like what 98% of the same DNA or some high 90s percentages. Um, but it's not just the actual material, it's the timing and how it's actually read, right? So how genes are turned off and on, how long they run for. Mm -hmm. That's what kind of mainly determines where you're at. Of course, the, the DNA, the genetic germline, all that stuff matters. 
Um, and then even more crazy is these epigenetic changes, right? So how that's interacting with your environment. Some of those can actually be passed on for, it looks like, at least two, three generations, even in humans, which is even more fascinating. So now you've got kind of a, a phenotypical change, right? An outcome that looks different, even though the DNA itself is not necessarily completely different. Right, so the early studies they did this with mice, they bred them with a different fur color and they put them in an environment that would change their fur color. And then when this mouse, those strands, those mice were bred, the fur color change, which is an epigenetic change, I think got passed on to like three or four generations. And then related to fitness, you can go look at some of like the famine studies. Uh, so people who were pregnant during, I think it was the Dutch famine and the Scandinavian one, like they're offspring were genetically kind of programmed epigenetically uh, to have a much higher propensity for weight gain because evolutionary it's a way of your body going oh my gosh there's not a lot of food around let's kind of make some of these changes so that we can store more of it as fat because food's not very prevalent Mm -hmm. and that works if you live in a famine the rest of your life but you drop that poor human into a society that food is now super prevalent uh, it's not not a good mix. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we got going on here in America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so man. anytime I see women who are pregnant doing crazy like crash diets, I just mm. oh, I, I a lot of times I just have to walk out of the room. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's talk about the holidays. It's a good time for that. Yeah. Um, with Thanksgiving coming on, what is it, next week? Next Thursday? Yep. Correct. Yeah. So we're all going to be eating. The big one we uh, we always get, and it's worth mentioning, it's like people always ask, well, well, how do I eat during Thanksgiving? And how do I eat for Christmas? And, you know, what do we do about training? And and this and that. And what are your guys' take? Honestly, just have people prioritize, like, prioritize protein and consistency on the days that you're not doing family stuff. Yeah. And then everything else should just be normal. Like, unless we have a meet, like, I have a lifter who's doing the American Open finals. So that's a little bit different. But yeah. Even then, I'm like, you know, pay attention, but still be a normal person on Thanksgiving. We can, as long as you've done your work, the other. 80% of the time, it's like you still should be able to have a decent Thanksgiving without, you know, eating cutting foods and, like, bringing your Tupperware to your family dinners and whatnot. So, yeah. But that's I mean, that's the simplest I, I make it for most people. It's like, and it's really for us is just survive the holidays, then we'll cut, like, after. Yeah. That's kind of the deal. And that's the big one. Like we talked about before the show, it's it's making people realize like, if you eat whatever the hell you want on Thanksgiving and whatever the hell you want on Christmas and go out and get shit-faced on New Year's, the likelihood of you gaining a pound is low, as long as you kept the rest of those days normal. It's it's understanding that the holiday doesn't last from Thanksgiving and then it's just all out until New Year's. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, and that's generally what happens is they... You know, you have these people, I have 14 Christmas parties to go to, four Thanksgivings, <laughs> um, two New Year's parties. It's like, well, pick one, bro. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and training-wise, I just train, you know. And there, there's a big reason why I do my meets when I do. Like, I do a meet in mid-November. That way I'm done right before the holidays. And I can do whatever the hell I want to. I don't have to train. And that's that's like for me, and it's Christmas is a vacation for me, so we leave for 10 days, and I won't train. I just don't train while we go on vacation. But I say that I'm being active. Like, we'll yeah. go skiing. We'll go hiking. We'll go, you know, I go out and do shit, you know, <laughs> that all this training helps me do that stuff. And it's okay to take 10 days out of the gym, you know, and I come back, and guess what? I didn't lose anything. Uh but I just stay active and do fun stuff. But that's the biggest one for me is just 
it's okay to relax for a couple days. It's not going to kill you. If you go out and just pound four plates of Thanksgiving food on Thanksgiving, yeah, you'll probably wake up the next day heavy and bloated and this and that. But give it a few days. As long as you go right back to normal, uh, you're going to be fine. So. Yeah, I mean, with my online clients, usually we've got somewhat of a plan. So I'll ask them. And, and I know which ones are pretty good at changing their training around ahead of time. And I know mm-hmm. which ones probably need a little bit more of a nudge to be like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so everyone will have a plan, you know, whether that's uh, something that they've kind of modified a little bit from what we're doing or, you know, something that's completely custom. If I'm a, a little bit more nervous, they might go crazy or either being too restrictive <laughs> or you know, going to every holiday party and not worrying about anything mm-hmm. um, as much as it's kind of. I don't know, frowned upon, but I still have people kind of do daily weights most of the time. And I expect to see it you know, <coughs> up after Thanksgiving and Christmas, but then I expect to see it go back down again, right? So it's just a big consistency over time. If, you know, someone is trying to gain weight, then it's even better. So yeah. if go. they have the ability, so they're doing, you know, one client's doing Thanksgiving at their house. They're going to eat a lot that day, and then their highest volume session is the next day, right? Because they're at home, they have access to a gym, family's not there, they're not interrupting, you know, any of the other holiday stuff going on. So in those cases, it actually can be uh, beneficial too. But Mm -hmm. I agree with what Jarrell said for general population, just eat a whole bunch of protein first, make sure you drink enough water, have some electrolytes, yeah. After that, don't worry too much about it. Again, as long as it's uh, confined one or two days, eh, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but the biggest problem, I think, is the period from Thanksgiving to Christmas, people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do whatever. I don't have a plan. Eh, exercise. I'll wait till January because that's when everybody starts again. And uh, <laughs> yeah. There's some pretty good data on that, too. Uh, one of them is the effect of holiday season on weight gain, a narrative review, uh, Journal of Obesity 2017. And in this, they stated that uh, this is a narrative review, but they said in studies of adults, a significant weight gain was consistently observed during this period of time. They're talking about the last week of November to the second week of January. Uh, during that time, the weight gain was 0.4 to 0.9 uh, kg. So not a lot, but if you're at you know 1 kg, that's 2.2 pounds. Mm-hmm. But when they look at this, they're looking at that as weight gain that was not lost. So that's not... A temporary weight gain, gotcha. that's you went up uh, on the high end, you know, 2.2 pounds over what you were before. Um, so it's not super high, but yeah, just kind of creeping obesity, you know, that can result in a good portion of weight gain for general population just over the course of a few weeks. Yeah. Um, there's another good study to uh, holiday weight gain factor fiction. Uh, they came up with something very uh, similar. They looked at a uh, weight gain during a six-week period from Thanksgiving through uh, the New Year. They said the average was only 0.37 kg. Uh, they said, however, weight gain was greater among individuals who were overweight or obese, and 14% uh, gained over five pounds during that time. So there's a, a lot of variability when you look at the actual data, too. Yeah, the the crossover point for us, and there's another thing I've I've had people do in the past. I'll mention here in a second, but um, the crossover point for us is like the just the crossover between your psychology and how that weight gain affects you, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many people that, especially gym pop people who don't don't contextualize their weight gain, and it's like oh, I just lost it all, right? And so they have one bad day, and it just mm-hmm. stacks on the next and the next. And then they're in a spiral and then they, you know, come out of it and they're like, oh, I got to start training hard again. And the <laughs> cycle starts over again, right? Like mm-hmm. that's like the loop that they're in. And that, that loop can be, I mean, for some people it's like, you know, three months, six months mm-hmm. where it's like it, it just kind of spirals and spirals and then they sputter out. Like getting people emotionally, I would just say, healthy about food. Mm. fixes a lot of the problems that we have initially like 
we just get you focused on like, look, it's not a big, like one day's not a big deal. You know, one hot day doesn't make a summer. Like just relax. It's just one day. And then getting back on it, like that is probably one of the first skills I notice people who are dieting well get, right? They, They contextualize that one day, that one bad day. Um, the other thing that we've kind of done before in the past is, so instead of doing a 24-hour or yeah, basically a 24-hour calorie window, sometimes I'll extend it to 48 or 72. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have to get, let's say you're at 2,000 calories is your number. And instead of focusing on getting 2,000 in a day, you focus on, you know, 6,000 over three days. Gotcha. And it kind of gives people a way to manage it. Now, I don't, I didn't do that a ton just because that was like a hit or miss thing where some people were like, all right, I'm gonna have 6,000 calories in a day. Oh, I can only drink water. No, like, all right. You just, <laughs> <laughs> like maybe don't take it too far kind of thing, but yeah. you know, just shifting your calories here and there shouldn't be that big of a deal. But the, the skill of just being able to have a quote unquote bad day or an off day oh, and yeah. getting back to it is probably like the biggest hurdle initially for my newer clients. Well, I'd say that's the biggest bust for most people to do diets. Oh, they yeah. screw up, they they like they fall off like a leg falls off the wagon. So they just fucking jump off and jump into the river. They're like, <laughs> oh, fucked up! You know, and it's all over. It's all over. Give me cakes and pies. You know? <laughs> and they end up, you know, it's like, it's okay, man. Just get back on. You know, just so you had a Twinkie. Lock <laughs> it up, learn from it, and move on. You know? It didn't ruin all your progress. You know? Right. So, yeah, that's a tough one to learn. That's, But, I mean, that comes along with just time, too. And it's learning that I think a big one for people is just realizing if you can get a client to realize that food is fuel above all. And try and get them to get emotional attachment away from it. That's huge. Yeah. Like that's just that's giant. And yeah, that, I mean, that's it's like very simple things that you know work out the best for us, especially. But like that idea, you know, being able to get back on, um, not, you know, the best bodybuilders. Like the one thing I hear I'm talking about. I remember listening to Dorian Yates talk about this, and I've heard other bodybuilders kind of mention it. They almost like completely detach themselves from food. Like, yes, it is like, it's a complete, you know, mental and emotional detachment from food itself. And you look at what they eat and it's like, it's very boring for the most part. Like, it's not like they're eating for taste. Like they've, they've completely got away from like what the food tastes like. Um, not saying anyone that's obviously getting into the eating disorder territory for most people, but, but the, there is a, something to learn there with just the detachment and the mm-hmm. amount of progress you can make. Like, you need to detach from food a little bit. Like, you had a bad day at work. That doesn't mean you need to eat a cake, right? Like, yeah. You know? Like, getting connected with that or, like, you know, really detaching your emotional, you know, day from what you eat. Yeah. I mean, how big an advantage is that if you just start out that way? Yeah, no, I think that's huge because most people have only been taught a biochemical solution to change their state, right? It's like, oh, this food or this drink, and, you know, you can do movement stuff, you could do distraction, you could, there's a bunch of other things you can do, but their almost unconscious default is uh, food a lot of times. And again, I don't think, we're not saying that people should never enjoy food or anything like that. But if that's your only potential solution, eh, losing weight's going to be quite a bit harder. Um, so, yeah. And oh, I mean, yeah. I, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, like, that first piece of cake was just as delicious as the fourth. Just yeah. have the one. <laughs> you know, that fourth one didn't taste any better. You had it with that first one. And that's okay. Move on. Yeah, you know, but that's that's what you see a lot of people do. It's like, oh, I want another one of those. I need fourteen donuts. You know, uh, like literally, that one took care of it. You know? Yeah. 
So yeah, and simple tricks like just you know if you're gonna have some chips, then take them out of the actual bag and put them in something else and remove yourself from that environment. Like yeah. I, I'm sure if I sat down with a bag of Reese's Pieces that the bag would magically disappear and I wouldn't even know how it happened. Yes. <laughs> Versus yeah. removing some and then moving yourself out of that environment and <clears throat> just be conscious when you're eating it too. The the yeah. worst thing to me is like people who think they're eating a quote bad food and then they feel so guilty the entire time uh-huh. that they didn't even enjoy it. It's like yep. great. So now you get almost like no benefit from it at all. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even get the <laughs> emotional benefit out of right. it. Right. You got nothing. You just yep. you're worse. Yep. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's a big one. But, you know, I mean, there's the Reese's, though. I mean, there's no such thing as a share size, Mike. I mean, any bag is just single serving. It's just, oh, of course. You got to buy the smallest bag if you only want a few because you're going to hammer that whole thing down. <laughs> Those things are like the most addictive thing to me for some reason, like way more than M&M's. Like, I don't know what they put in them, but it's crazy. It's that extra. It's the E.T. stuff, man. It's alien technology. I Remember? think it that's is. when they came out. So, yep. <laughs> that shows how old we are, though. So, yeah, me all <laughs> but yeah. no, well, I mean, I, I had early clients and the biggest lesson that they learned was, oh, yeah, I can fall off the wagon and I can get back on and stuff starts working again. You know, where their habit in the past was to go way too hardcore for two and a half weeks and then mm-hmm. fall off and then. You know, end up face first in a birthday cake and then just <laughs> rinse and repeat the cycle forever. <laughs> yeah, the wagon's not like a super speed train that you got the no. wagon's going. You can jump right. It's right there. Get back on. You know, it yeah. didn't leave you in the dust. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I think that's a good one, guys. It's been an hour. So, yeah, cool. Um, touched on the meat, some protein intake and DNA damage and how to handle the holidays. So, we will catch you guys next week everybody have a happy thanksgiving we'll catch you after maybe we can have some uh we can talk about the uh indulgences we had on thanksgiving yeah there you go all right guys all right see you bye